<laughs> We've become Where woo girls. Nightmare. We call ourselves <laughs> ghostesses. We sometimes have vocal fry. Oh my god! And now we're woo and girls. And now we are wooing, or are we booing? I don't know. Maybe that's the sound that I'll make instead of boo. I'll say woo when I'm a ghost. Woo! Well, honestly, makes this podcast even more spookier. We are your nightmare. So, oh my gosh, (laughs) (laughs) I hope you dream about us tonight. This is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost, and we are your woo ghostesses. That is Corinne, who is so sadly but adorably on crutches right now. And I'm Sabrina. And yes, sadly, Corinne, you can say what happened, but you're on crutches for a long time. And I was like, well, then you have to have a great Halloween costume that involves crutches. And you had a brilliant idea. I do. Sneak peek, depending on commitment levels. (laughs) Lovers. Lovers. I might do the scene from Misery. I might be the one in the bed bandaged up and I'll make my boyfriend. (laughs) Brian will be Annie Wilkes. (laughs) Yes. So we'll see if that happens. But yeah, Mr. this is Man. my first time ever on crutches. It is so hard. Mm-hmm. I really feel for anyone who really just has to take on any new type of mobility form to get around because you use different muscles than you're used to. I felt like I – when I was 12, I went snowboarding for the first time ever and I had to skip two days of school because I was so sore. And this is oh. exactly how I felt after using crutches for a day. I was like, oh, my God, I literally can't move. Oh. But anyway, I've broken bones in my past, ribs, fingers, and <laughs> this time I broke my foot. I was oh. at my grandparents' house, and everyone was watching American Ninja Warrior, you know, a show about athletes. Mm-hmm. And in the most unathletic moment of my <laughs> life, I shoved my foot so hard into the leg of the couch in an attempt to swing my foot around and sit my fat ass on the couch. And I did it with such force. <laughs> Maybe I am an athlete. I was yeah, so it is strong rare. and powerful <laughs> in my step that I broke. I thought it was my toe because my pinky toe was like 70 degrees out to the Ugh. side. Turns out it was actually like deeper in my foot, sliced through the bone. Ooh. So... Yeah, I'm on crutches for a while. Poor thing. Yes. The scariest thing. Oh, wait. (laughs) Well, I was going to say the scary thing is showering. I just ordered a like non-slip mat because Mm. it's really scary to like try to hop on one foot into a slippery wet shower. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. Please don't. So, yeah, it takes me a long time to get in and out. Anyway, the the worst part of all of it is that – so I did a telehealth appointment because I was like, oh, I for sure just like really badly bruised this. But it's also numb and I can't feel it and my whole foot is turning blue and it's super (laughs) small. (laughs) So I did telehealth and the person immediately like, yeah, you got to go get an x-ray. So the next morning I went to urgent care and it had rained that morning in Boston. And so on my way through the parking lot of the urgent care parking lot, my crutch on the side no. with the broken foot slipped out. No. And I crashed down and landed on my broken foot like 15 feet from the door of urgent care. No, that's awful. So honestly, maybe it wasn't broken before then and I, and you I broke, broke it, it in the parking lot. Good thing you were at urgent care, so. I know. I just like screamed. Oh, that's awful. Anyway, I shouldn't Ugh. complain. People that I know have gone through way worse injuries, but it's just incredibly inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Yes. It's, yeah, it is. And I have to be careful. Yeah, I'm glad that you can laugh at yourself for how it happened. <laughs> you told me and I was like, I really want to be supportive, but I can't help but chuckle. <laughs> I tell everyone the truth. And it's like, oh my God, what happened? I'm like, honestly, it's funny. I wish, I wish uh. it was something different than what it is. Oh my gosh. Miserable. Okay, well, I'm going to completely pivot conversations. 
we have a ghost video to talk about. And yes. Okay. It's wild because Corinne about a week ago texted me and was like, I have a ghost video to show you and I want to show it to you the next time we record so I get your actual live reaction. But she was like, I can't stop thinking about it. Yes. Then you kind of like described it to me without showing it to me. And then this past weekend, I'm in Joshua Tree for a bachelorette with a girl who lives in New York, but she's from Santa Barbara, California. She started talking about a video that her coworkers' friends filmed or caught, and it's of a ghost in their apartment, like her coworkers' friends. I feel like ghost isn't an accurate description of it. It yeah. is a nightmare. <laughs> the nightmare that they caught. And she starts explaining it to me, and I was like, that's so weird. This sounds so similar to the video that Corinne was starting to explain to me. And then she shows me the video – And I'll let Corinne explain it. But then I send it to Corinne and it was the same video. So you guys who have, you have never met each other, have some connection to the same people who have this video. Yes. So which is so bizarre. Like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. And mine is basically a friend of a friend of a friend. So we're still kind of far removed, but essentially my boyfriend's friend who I spent time with him and his fiance the Uh week before texted my boyfriend and said, show her in this video now. This is like my friend's apartment or something. And so he shows me the video and I'm like, oh my God, asking a million questions through Brian's phone. Like, tell me, tell me <laughs> of that. Course. And of course, it doesn't have all of the information, but I feel like you and I have a little bit differing information. So we really need the girls in this video to just tell us what truly happened because yeah. through the banana phone game, through the grapevine, yeah. like it's getting a little bit stirred up. But essentially what I was told was these girls lived in an apartment in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is inches away from where I live. And they were playing ring toss. And in the video, they're playing ring toss, which if you don't know what ring toss is, there's basically like a tiny hook attached to the wall. And then there's a string hanging maybe six feet away with a little metal ring at the bottom of the string. And you try to move the string and hook yeah, it. Yeah, get onto the hook. Get it onto the hook on the wall. So these girls are in their living room. And one of them is doing the ring game and the other one's filming. So she's moving between filming her friend and following the ring over to, to the, the, the wall. And they're like, wow, because she almost gets it on the hook. So you're like so distracted by the fact that she almost got it. But if you watch it slowly and if you watch oh, it a few times, so you'll notice that there's about eight inches that you can see in the door frame where the hook is next to. And in the door frame, it appears to be a woman with really dark hair and a white nightgown. And at first I was like, I wanted to believe, you know, like maybe this was a prank. Maybe this was a, a roommate oh or something. But it just doesn't seem that way at all. It doesn't feel that way in the video. And also upon replaying it many, many, many times, it's a little hard to see. But what I thought I saw was that the woman's face was actually watching them, but it was completely black. Like she had no face. Because then you see movement with the head where it looks like she's turning her head, but then there's more black. It's her hair. And then she like slowly, like inches her way past the door. I hadn't seen that part. I'll have to watch it closer. But if you notice, she has no feet and she's Seems to be floating. Like, it's not a normal, like, when you walk, you have, like, a gate. Yes. Whatever entity nightmare thing this is, it's floating at, like, a normal height for a person, but they have no feet through the hallway. And unless they have some spooky-ass roommate who is super into antique nightgowns or vintage nightgowns, it just, it looks off. Well, it's interesting just because I feel like, like you said, we have some differences of, like, what mm-hmm. the story is. But apparently the story that my friend or her the, her coworker told her was that 
it was one in Chicago and they had just moved into the apartment when this happened. And then after they saw it, they contacted the landlord and they were like so spooked and wanted to move out. And then the landlord was totally fine with it because the people before them had broken the lease because they said it was super haunted. Wait, is this the is this the person who emailed us the encounters and was like, la la la, my apartment's super haunted. No one ever stays in it, but I signed for three years. Remember that encounters? It was last episode. There Wait. was a person. Who, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was like a very different place, right? Wasn't that like in we don't know. Well, Salt Lake City? Of things. We do not know where this video is. That's true. I was told Somerville, Massachusetts. You were told Chicago. Yeah, that's true. They're like third, fourth, fifth connections that we're hearing this from. And I was also oh told gosh. that the girls had moved out like the next day or a couple days later and didn't notice the woman in the video until a couple months later when they were going oh. through their phone and rewatching the videos. And so that's why it's oh my just gosh. now circulating or whatever. It's almost like watching The Ring, but it's a video that's sent viral to people's friends and everyone's like, oh, this oh is a God. video that happened to me. And if you don't share it saying this happened to me, then something bad happens to you. <gasps> Well, it's oh. honestly – I'm surprised you don't have as bad nightmares. Well, now I'm going to because I feel really, like, uncomfortable about it thinking that yeah. it's going Just around. within, like, eight days, you and I both had received it with differing yeah. versions of the story. But it is really creepy. Can we post it? Do we have permission? I mean, I think it's on TikTok, so I feel like we should be able to post it. We can search in TikTok and see if we can find who actually posted it so we can just, okay. like, save the video and, and have their name on it. Yeah. But otherwise, I feel like we can post it. We don't know – like – it is so far removed at this point. That's I true. A million people. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really scary. And I keep thinking like at night, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll feel like there's someone like I just am, in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to walk into this room. Oh, my God, she's going to walk past. Especially the with your injury. I can't. Yeah, I'm limited. I can't go anywhere. <laughs> and also, remember when we did La Llorona and I was talking about how many like weird noises have been happening and were happening yeah. in my apartment while researching it? It hasn't really stopped. <gasps> and it's mostly when I'm alone. So I am nervous. <laughs> you need to cleanse your apartment just to be safe. I know. I do. I will. Teach Brian how to do it. Yeah. I'll direct him. There's it a is, lot of directing is. happening over this past week. Spooky season is upon us. I think it's safe to say you should cleanse your space regardless. Mm-hmm. Also, I have another ghost story. Oh, my God. What is it? So this is also from Gigi. And she works at like a fashion line. It's a shoe company. I won't say the brand because I don't want to like out her. But they have stores all over the place. And they have a store in Las Vegas. And apparently it has this velvet wall. And apparently every morning when the staff comes into the store, there are handprints <gasps> all the way up <laughs> the wall. Like all the way up to the ceiling. What the f- They have like a brush that cleans and like straightens out the velvet, but the brush doesn't even go that high. Are you kidding me? Something is crawling up the velvet. And I literally just like my foot because it's broken. It's off the bed. I'm sitting (laughs) on the side of my bed to record. And I literally just lifted it and straightened my legs. I'm like, "Mm -mm, can't be too close to the ground. (laughs) She sent me a video, which I'll send. I think she sent to me. I'll have to double check, but I'll send it to you afterwards. I haven't even watched it because I was too scared to watch it when we were talking about it. And apparently one of the coworkers was basically filming a video for another employee about like how to use the register and stuff. And she was alone in the store when she listens back to it or no, she sends it to the coworker and the coworker's like, dude, who was in there with you? Like there's someone talking in the background and apparently they say some really creepy things. <gasps> oh my gosh. Wait, send it to me. Should we watch it right now? Yeah. We're already cursed from watching the other video. So what's another seven so we days? May as well. Okay. Let me see if I can find it. 
Oh, she did send it to me. Okay. Hell yeah. If anyone's a part of our Facebook group, it's one of our rules is you're not allowed to send any like, if you don't send this story to seven people, you'll be haunted in seven days by someone, blah, blah, blah. We don't like those. Mm -mm. We don't, but we may have received one. Okay. Yeah, unintentionally. I'm waiting for it to come through. Okay, I sent it. I'm going to watch it and play it into our microphone so people can hear it. Okay. It's basically in the beginning. Okay. Yes. (gasps) What is it saying? It sounds like... Are items sold? Yes. (gasps) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm I feel so uncomfortable. It's literally Gollum. Ew. And thinking of that voice combined with the fact that it's crawling up the wall when they're not there is so, oh, I don't like it. They need to cleanse their space. Ew. I wonder what the fingerprints look like, like what the handprints look like. Are they little? Are they normal? Are they I feel Ill. Are there only a few fingers? I don't like what that the there's hell? so much like open space behind me right now. No. Well, I have my eyes on it. And I'm freezing now. <laughs> that happens to me too sometimes where it's like something scares you so bad that you just get chills, but like your whole body's actually freezing cold in that moment. Mm. That's really creepy. Wow, Gigi had some tales to tell at this bachelorette that you She also to. grew up in a very haunted house. Like, she has, like, terrible stories. Oh I'll gosh. have her email them to us yeah, because they're terrifying. Because already these are, like, two <sighs> of the scariest things. Okay, well, maybe we should get into the episode and scare ourselves with other things. Absolutely. We can totally do that. Okay. So this week's episode, Corinne, you picked the topic. I did. I was slightly confused. Confused about, <laughs> but I kind of just took, I just ran with it in my own version because you, you titled it based on reality. Yeah. And I was like, well, technically, based on our opinion that ghosts are real, isn't Everything. any story based on reality? <laughs> it was more urban legends that mm. either became true or were birthed from something real other mm. than just kind of like... Interesting. Like there was something substantial there. Okay. So I interestingly went a very skewed route, basically because I selfishly wanted to do this. And I wanted to do this for a long time, but it didn't technically fall under the whatever the guidelines of our podcast, which we don't really have rules anyway. But I decided to do something that was not real, but turned into reality. And I decided to cover the Slender Man. As a warning, before I read this story or go into the details of the Slender Man, please, all listeners, be advised that this is a fictional story. Slender Man is not real. Thank you. Slender Man. Beware the Slender Man, he will hunt you, but he does not bang on your door, claw at your walls, or howl at the moon. He is just there, standing there, waiting for you, in your peripheral, and at first you'll wonder if it's real, or just a vision in the corner of your eyes, or I don't know, maybe a hallucination brought on by fatigue, but then it gets real, and despite your efforts to evade him, Slender Man is still there. Always standing, always waiting, always watching. No one knows how the Slender Man picks his targets, but his methods are quite malevolent and torturous. According to his backstory, he began as a killing machine thirsting for blood and acting in violent, destructive ways. He would stalk and then kidnap his victims, 
only to then impale them on the branches of very tall trees and slowly bleed them to death. He would then remove the victim's organs, place them in plastic bags, and then return the organs in the bags to their original positions in the body. But it appears that over time, his animalistic method grew old and Slender Man evolved. His earlier methodologies were erratic and violent, but as time went on, he desired a more tactful and sadistic practice. He began to enjoy the slow, monotonous stalking of his victims, appearing in their lives at a distance, but always staying close enough to make them aware of his presence and feel the ominous dread. He would instill the fear of the unknown. What did he want? When would he attack? Basically, this method would drive his victims slowly into madness, and he is known to stalk his targets for days, weeks, months, and even years, appearing when least expected, and oftentimes in places where the victim is alone and most comfortable, like at home, school, work, outdoors, along safe roads. He will wear his victims down and finally attack when they are no longer willing or able or strong enough to fight him off, making them an easier kill. And if you fall victim or become the target of the Slender Man, you may experience the Slender Sickness, which is basically mental and physical ailments causing paranoia and nightmares, coughing and difficulty swallowing, convulsions, exhaustion, vomiting, hallucinations, and finally, death. And if you are not aware of who Slender Man is, he is a tall, slender man-looking creature who reaches anywhere from 6 to 14 feet tall and wears a black suit, a white shirt, black trousers, black shoes, and sometimes a black, red, or white tie. But his face is pale white and absent of any features. He may appear to be a normal man in a suit, but he is far from. (laughs) And in addition to his inhumane-like height, Slender Man is also known for having long black tentacles that extend at inhuman lengths, and he uses them to snag his victims. His method of movement is also abnormal, and he's said to teleport and use space-time warping methods to move throughout space. So one moment, he'll be hiding in the woods behind your house, and the next, he'll be standing right behind you in the supposed safety of your very own bedroom. Worst of all, there is zero ways, no ways at all to defeat the Slender Man. He is immortal, cannot be killed, he is omnipresent, and once he has targeted you as a victim... There is nothing you can do. Oh my gosh. The Slender Man is horrific and nightmare-inducing. But the question at hand is, is any of this true? Is Slender Man real at all? Or perhaps is he a product of a collective imagination that took on its own life and brought on real-world destruction? Because the truth is, the Slender Man is not real. So based on reality as the, as the topic, I'm doing a little, <laughs> giving it a little judge. <laughs> He actually began as the figment of an imagination belonging to a man from Florida. His name was Eric Knudsen. And so basically, to understand the origins of Slender Man, we have to go all the way back to June 8th of 2009. So on this date, the Something Awful forums announced a Paranormal Pictures Photoshop contest. And the prompt was basically for participants to turn an ordinary photo into creepy-looking images through Photoshop manipulation and then pass them on 
as authentic photos on a number of other paranormal forums. So basically, like, the challenge was to trick all of us believers? Basically, yeah. It was basically, it was Photoshop something paranormal and scary into a photo and then share it on paranormal platforms. What the heck? Which... To me, I, you know, as a high and mighty way after the fact, you know, perspective, I'm like, you should have known this is going to cause some chaos and like cause people to, you know, believe in something that's not necessarily real. But again, it's so much easier to say after the fact than, you know, who knows? So anyway, Eric Knudsen decides to Photoshop a tall, thin, spectral figure wearing a black suit into two different photographs of children in different contexts. And the idea was both of those images was supposed to be from moments before abductions of the groups of children within the photos at the hands of the character he named the Slender Man. So he submitted the photos with captions, and the first photo features a group of about 12 kids and teens, and they all kind of have glum expressions on their face. And the caption below it read, We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But it's persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. And then it's said it's from 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead at the hands of Slenderman. And in the photo, it's the kids. And then in like the distance is this kind of blurry, tall, creepy man who's very tall. I'm looking at it. I needed to see what these photos looked like. Right? It's a really good Photoshop. Yeah. And this is 2009. I mean, I don't know how old Photoshop is, but I feel like the... Photoshopping of photos became very popular around this time. And then the second photo displays children on a playground with, again, the Slender Man present in the deep background, his tall body kind of very dark. And this photo was accompanied by the caption, One of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformity cited as film defects by officials. The fire at the library occurred one week later, and the actual photograph was confiscated as evidence. And then it's said to be a photo from 1986. Photographer Mary Thomas has been missing since June 13th, 1986. So basically, he puts these two photos with these captions onto the internet. And what started as a photo contest went on to spur a, I mean, the only word for it is chaos, really, but it became an internet sensation. And everyone starts wanting to know more about this mysterious Slender Man. Who is he? What is he? What does he want? Where did he come from? And the initial posting from Eric Knudsen left so much to be desired. It was vague enough, but detailed enough that it like gave a life to something that allowed all these other users online to create a history and create a future and to create stories surrounding it. Mm -hmm. And the world began to spin the Slender Man's lore, creating a backstory that dated all the way back to the 16th century Germany and some stories back further to 5000 BC. Like truly people start manipulating artwork. There's Egyptian hieroglyphs that are manipulated. There's old German woodworking and like it gets like people really excited to create this story and all the forums you know people are like oh my god I've seen the Slender Man and people start telling these stories and it becomes this hodgepodge mix of things from all over the world that 
built the Slender Man into what he then became. So like I'm glad at least that there's a mark on the internet where we can know when things are posted, when things are done. Because otherwise it would have been so hard to trace back like what was if any of it was based before this photoshopping. If there was anything that appeared to be Slender Man like. One of the most interesting things about Slender Man is it is so easy to date it back to its origin and and to know where it came from. Mm -hmm. And yet people started to convince themselves and convince others that it was real because of how thorough and detailed the online web people and users were and how, you know, committed they were to creating this backstory. It was really easy for someone who was, you know, joining Creepypasta or any of those other websites to just read the story in the way that it was told of like, this is the Slender Man. He or originated in 5000 BC and like, here's artwork from Germany in the 16th century of the Slender Man haunting children, you know, mm-hmm. that it just it kind of took on its own life. And people weren't looking back to verify any of this because right. It's paranormal and it's cryptids and right. It's, you just take what you hear. And you, you take run with what it. you hear. So the Slender Man starts taking on a real life and has a description of being a normal human being, but is eight feet tall and has vectors or extra appendages that are said to be as sharp as swords. And the creature is said to stalk humans and cause many disappearances. He was described as a shadow creature with a missing face. And he fit into these legends from nations such as Germany and brings up the possibility that he could be real. And it kind of was saying that when Slender Man or what was said about him was that when Slender Man was originally in existence, he wasn't exactly evil. And according to the mythology, he was actually trying to save victims from a painful death by taking them to the underworld early. But then he evolved into this malevolent creature who, when he appears, havoc follows. And he murders or compels others to murder. And it became a creepypasta sensation. There were stories filling the web with all types of, you know, stories of the Slender Man ripping children out of their beds or stalking them through the woods and into their homes. And, you know, people were becoming terrified of their own surroundings because based on these stories, the Slender Man would appear in fields, in the woods. Or in their own homes. And he would make people paranoid because he could be anywhere. And basically, within days of the Slender Man being created, or like these photoshopped photos by Eric Knudsen, Mm -hmm. these two guys create a YouTube documentary style series, which is like all about this entity like the Slender Man. So it's becoming viral in that way. My God, that's a really fast turnaround. I know. And they actually had like, I think, I want to say like, two years worth of episodes that were pretty successful. And then there were more stories that were created and there were like a bunch of video games that were created about the Slender Man. And then there was, you know, there were creepypasta stories and people saying that like the Slender Man stalked a friend of a friend or he started appearing in a user's backyard and how they all began to have nightmares and how the Slender Man was slowly taking over their lives and it just kept spreading. And it was just telling of his powerful manipulative tactics and how violent he was and It became this like internet sensation that people of all ages were absorbing. And as we probably all know, it started getting dangerous because while many online users may have known that the story was fictional and added submissions as a fun pastime, there were many other users taking in the stories and perceiving them as fact 
and the Slender Man went from a ghoulish creature that existed only on the internet to a creature that existed in the real world that threatened the safety of families and requested violent acts of young girls. And infamously, I'm sure you all know where this is going, because on May 30th of 2014, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, 12-year-old Morgan Geyser was allowed to have a slumber party for her birthday. And she invites her two friends, Anissa Ware and Peyton Lutner, to stay the night. And it was, you know, they went roller skating and then went home and it seemed like a normal slumber party. But it took a very twisted turn the next morning because on May 31st of 2014, the girls awoke from their night of fun and Morgan and Anissa suggested they go on a walk and play hide and seek in the woods. They then lured Peyton into the woods, tackled her, pinned her down, and together, Morgan and Anissa stabbed Peyton 19 times in the arms, legs, and torso with a knife. It's just absolutely horrifying. It is. And I'm sure a lot of people know where this is going, but I'm going to tell the story kind of in a in the timeline that the police kind of followed it and mm-hmm. to how okay. the reveal all came out. So Morgan and Anissa tell Peyton that they're going to get help because Peyton's like stumbling and like trying to get up, but like bleeding out basically. But instead they leave her behind to die in the woods and they start walking. Luckily, Peyton was able to drag her bloody body to a nearby road where a bicyclist found her and called 911, where she was then rushed to the hospital and was determined to have been stabbed 19 times. Two wounds were to major organs. One stab wound missed a major artery of her heart by less than a millimeter. Another went through her diaphragm, cutting into her liver and stomach. And it was a miracle that she was not dead. And she was able to tell the police what happened, you know, very kind of briefly. But she was able to say that her friend stabbed her. And the police, you know, go searching for these girls thinking that they're in trouble because maybe Peyton was delusional or, you know, having some repercussions of the attack. And these other two girls had been attacked by someone else as well. So they go searching for Morgan Geyser and Anissa Ware. And they find them at a furniture store, dirty, kind of covered in blood, five miles away from where the attack happened. Just wandering the furniture store? Yeah. And they are kind of covered in blood. They have a bag with the knife that they used to stab Peyton. And they're eerily calm, as if nothing happened. Then Morgan and Anissa are taken into custody. And immediately everyone is like, what the heck happened? Why in the world would these girls commit such a horrific crime? And the police speak to Morgan and Anissa for hours. And apparently, according to police reports, Morgan was very calm, as if it was a normal day for her. And she kept asking if Peyton was dead because she needed to be dead in order to appease. What the hell? And everyone immediately is like, red flags. What the hell is going on? Yeah. Appease who? So then the story starts to unfold. And it kind of goes back and forth between Morgan and Anissa, but told from very different perspectives, which I think is very interesting. So Morgan insisted that Anissa told her to do it, that they had to do it. And she said, um, this is a quote, because she said that he'd kill our families, a man. I didn't know him, but Anissa did. Anissa went on to tell the police all about the Slender Man, who was anywhere from 6 to 14 feet tall, wearing a suit, doesn't have a face, and has white skin. She was telling the police that the Slender Man strangled his victims with tendrils protruding from his back and targets mostly children. And Anissa told the police that she had seen him, that she was on the bus. When she looked out the window, she saw it. 
with tendrils standing by a tree looking at her. She said it was there and then it was gone just like that. But she became terrified, fearing that the Slender Man had targeted her and that her family could be killed, that he could kill her family within seconds. So she confided in Morgan and apparently... Anissa was so concerned with her family's safety and didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to appease this man or how to get Slender Man away from her. But Morgan looked at her and told her, we have to kill Peyton. And then Anissa and Morgan came up with the plan to kill Peyton. And the idea behind it was that it was a way to show the Slender Man that they were worthy. If they gave him a sacrifice, they would be exempt from his murderous ways and that their families would be safe. And apparently they spent six months planning this attack, this murder. And during that time, they learned that the Slender Man had a big mansion in the middle of Nicolette National Park. So their plan was to murder Peyton and walk from where they had stabbed Peyton to the mansion, which would have been a four and a half hour drive. So they only made what? it five miles, but they were on their way to this mansion that they believed How was in the, the woods. How did they? I mean, they had to have been absolutely out of their minds at this point because there's beyond just killing someone. Like Yes. The, the lack of planning and preparation in, in any regard is just... Yeah. I mean, they're 12 years old. 12, they're 12. years old. But there is also a lot of mental illness behind right. this, which comes out in the and trial it, and everything. Yeah. It does make me wonder how much that one girl had to say to convince the other of it to be real or if it was just like this easy, like, okay, let's go. Yeah. I mean, but considering how terrified Anissa was, mm -hmm. I imagine that Morgan's pitching like the only way to survive or the only way to save your family is this. Yeah. I imagine it wasn't that difficult. And but you so never really truly know what you're going to do in that moment. And like, yeah. yeah, it's the blurring of reality. Like you mm -hmm. watch movies and you're like, oh, that would never happen. Or what would I do in this scenario? And and then it's presented and you're like, what if this is real? What if this is the scenario? And I'm about yeah. to have my whole family die if I don't do this. Yeah. I mean, you're going to make fun of this example. But when I was like 12 years old, a friend of mine showed me porn and was like, Show, look at this website. And I like knew it porn was bad and she had told me what it was. But like because she showed it to me, I like looked at it, you know? Like, you kind of do things that your friends say to do, even though you know yeah. and have been told it's bad. You think it's, it's the next step in, like, growing up, basically. Yeah. Like proving yeah. yourself to be able to handle yeah. situations. Yes. And that was the first time I saw two girls, one ghost. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the what inspired it. No, it wasn't. That's just... But anyway, so the police are kind of in this time when they're interviewing Anissa and Morgan are very confused. Like, who's the mastermind? It kind of seemed like Anissa did it because Morgan suggested it, but then Morgan kept telling the police that she didn't understand what they were doing. This is a direct quote from Morgan. She goes, I didn't really understand what we were doing, but I really didn't want to make Anissa mad. It's hard enough to make friends, and I don't want to lose someone over something like this. But then Morgan continues to share their devious plan and like is very calm and very matter-of-fact when she's saying all of it, and it comes off a little bit devious. Mm. like as if she's pinning it on Anissa. But she said that they planned for six months and she was like, it was so hard not to tell anyone. And again, another direct quote from her was, it was a flawless plan actually, as if she was proud. And what? she told the police that instead of the word knife, they would use the word cracker. And instead of killing, they would say itch. Like they had code words for their plan. So they knew going into the sleepover that this is what was going to yes. happen? They had one plan, which was, Basically, they were going to go back to Morgan's after roller skating, and they wanted to duct tape Peyton's mouth shut in the middle of the night while she was sleeping so they could stab her in the neck. 
But when they got home that evening, they were all very tired and Morgan and Anissa changed their minds. And so then the next morning, while Peyton was playing dress up, the two girls discussed their second plan, which was Morgan suggested killing Peyton in a bathroom stall at the park because there was a drain for blood. And according to police reports, Anissa said that Morgan took a knife from the kitchen, but then Morgan told police that Anissa took the knife from the kitchen. But when they got to the park bathroom, Anissa said that she tried to bang Peyton's head up against the concrete because she read online that it's easier to kill people when they're asleep or unconscious and that it's easier if you don't look them in the eyes, which is just horrifying to think that this is all so easily accessible on the internet. I know. Yeah, and that she's probably at her, like, home computer in the family room or, like, at the local library or school computer Googling this. Yes, that a 12-year-old girl can look up the easiest way to kill someone. But anyway, the girls lose their nerve, and then they decide to take Peyton into the woods to do it. And then Morgan starts telling the police that they led her there and tricked her and said they were going to go bird watching. And she says, in quotes, people who trust you become very gullible. And it was sort of sad. So they suggest a game of hide and seek. And Anissa said that her and Morgan were going to be like lionesses chasing down a zebra. And they were going to tackle her. And then Morgan would do the stabbing. The police then ask Morgan what happened after they started chasing her and tackled Peyton. And this is another quote, which is very, very unsettling. Morgan looks at the officers and said, I already told you. Stab, 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 stab. It was weird. I felt no remorse. I thought I would, but I actually felt nothing. So after the stabbing, they told Peyton they would get help, but both girls actually wanted her to die. Investigators then later uncover notebooks with writings and drawings related to Slenderman in Morgan's locker. And in her bedroom, they found drawings of Slenderman and mutilated dolls that had their hands, arms, and legs cut off. They also found an email that Morgan sent to Anissa instructing her to remember to clean her history on her computer. And when they looked into Morgan's family computer, they found thousands of internet searches like how to get away with murder and what kind of insane am I? And the entire crime is just so horrific and unsettling for everyone because it's like almost unheard of to have these young girls plan such a vicious, evil crime. And it was so premeditated. Yes. And with the premeditation, I have another question. It's not necessarily something you can answer or maybe (laughs) really anyone can answer. But the fact that she Googled what kind of insane am I, it could be that she definitely knew something was wrong and she was trying to identify what was happening within her that she couldn't make sense of. But do you think on the flip side, she was trying to figure out what would match what she was about to do to plan a defense ahead of time should she be caught? Oh, gosh. I can't imagine it's that because I think there was so much pre-planning, but neither girls ever thought about the consequences. Like They never really thought out what happens after they kill their friend. Mm. It felt like they – because I don't know. I feel like when you're so young, you don't really think about consequences. You're kind of just thinking about the moment. I don't know. True. I don't know. But this is also like recent. This is times of the internet. And so I feel like yeah. when I was 12, it was different than when my mom was 12. And it's different than when kids are 12 now. Like I was watching yeah. Law and Order SVU. I was thinking about all of those types of crime stuff. And now it's like yeah. you even were. more accessible. Like, and like, oh, oh, 
You didn't go home and watch Law and Order SVU? <laughs> no, I went home and watched like Blue's Clues because my brother was a toddler. Oh no, I was into true crime like, full house. from the get-go. So wow. I feel like there's just a lot that is accessible yeah, and a lot of possible. people are like, think about like podcasts and documentaries. People talk through all of the mistakes people make when being caught and convicted. It's not yeah. just like, yay, they were caught, yay. It's like, that here's is everything they did wrong. That is interesting. So, oh gosh, that gives me that makes me so that makes me so sad that there are young twelve year olds that are like that. For, I mean, well, because like you don't become a sociopath later in life; you're just born yeah. that way, and certain events can trigger it, or you might just grow yeah. into those tendencies more. Maybe she truly is just a sociopath, and and she thinks differently, she plans differently. Yeah. Well, so she so basically. Morgan and Anissa were both studied and had like a lot of mental, I'm not, I'm blanking on the word. They were psychoanalyzed. Yeah. So basically because of all of this, they were psychoanalyzed because it was like, what causes a 12 year old to do this? But before I go to that, I just want to say that Peyton survived after six days in the hospital, she was able to leave and she recovered and she is a healthy teen now. There are a bunch of interviews with her if anyone's interested. They are it's kind of amazing. I'm definitely going to read or watch those for Yeah, sure. you should. So due to the nature of the crimes, Morgan Geyser and Anissa Ware were charged as adults, but both were ultimately found not guilty by mental disease or defect. Morgan Geyser was diagnosed as schizophrenic, which is extremely rare at how young of an age she was. But her father was also schizophrenic, so it runs in her family. Mm. And based on her actions and her inability to feel, like, empathy or really understand what her actions caused, she was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Anissa was sentenced to 25 years to life in a state psychiatric institute, followed by communal supervision until age 37. Morgan was given the maximum sentence of 40 years to life in a psychiatric facility until complete resolution of symptoms or until age 53, whichever may happen first. And wildly enough, so I go to start researching on Monday, September 13th, and I search the Slender Man. And the very first thing that comes up is Anissa Ware released. So on the day that I started researching this, Anissa Ware was being released from the Wisconsin Psychiatric Hospital. That day. Wait, I thought she was sentenced to longer. So basically, she's now 19. She was released after spending four years at the psychiatric hospital when she wasn't supposed to be released until 37. But she petitioned for release, and the court deemed that she had recovered and made progress in treatment. But she has to live with her father and wear around-the-clock GPS monitoring. She can't use computers outside of her home, and they have to be monitored And she needs to continue regular psychiatric treatment. Okay. So however you feel about that, the truth is that the story of the Slender Man became so terrifying and visceral in young Anissa's life that she convinced herself he was real and that he was stalking her and threatening the safety of her family. And she was so horrified that she was driven and partially manipulated by another friend to attempt a murder. What's even more wild is that this is not the only violent crime or act inspired by the Slender Man. What? In June of 2014, a 13-year-old Ohio girl attacked her mom with a knife, trying to kill her because of a Slender Man-inspired story that she had made up. The woman was able to disarm her daughter, and she survived. But they found journals that she had like written all these stories of the Slender Man telling her that she had to kill her mom. And then... On September 4th of 2014, a 14-year-old girl in Port Richey, 
Florida, allegedly set her family's house on fire while her mother and nine-year-old brother were inside because she had been reading stories on the Slender Man online and felt compelled to kill her family for the Slender Man. Luckily, everyone escaped the fire safely. But how in either in any of these situations do people get over that? They don't. I can't imagine that they do. Uh, yeah. How do you recover like as a family? I don't know. The Slender Man took on a life of its own and continues to exist on the internet and in the media. There was a Slender Man film released in 2018. He was featured on a bunch of shows or like stories similar to Slender Man have been featured on a lot of television shows. And this all started from a Photoshop contest. And Eric Knudsen was just excited to Photoshop some photos and was inspired by Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft and never thought like it would so cause many of us are. this. Yeah, it caused chaos and terror in the general population. I really wonder what he thought, like what he went through when hearing of all of these cases. I mean, I think he was pretty devastated and he released a few statements saying how sorry he was for the families and everything. But truly, he's not at fault for that, you know? No, not at he, all. He, he just created the images. Amazing Photoshop photos yeah into a contest as did many many other people mm -hmm. and it just took and other people manipulated the story and ran yeah. with it and sometimes and it, you can't predict what people are gonna i mean like son of sam a neighbor had a dog yeah. is the neighbor just not supposed to have a dog and the dog's not exactly like how can you predict that he thought no the dog was satan and talking to him and telling yeah. him to kill everyone you would to not kill. know that berkowitz yeah. would no pick the dog so yeah i mean just don't there's know. so many and there's so many debates that came up with this case and it's like you know access to internet on for children and and what should be allowed and like disclaimers and things like that but it's Ultimately, that's not what this podcast is about. So that is the story of Slenderman, which right. again is not real. Do not Slenderman believe is not real. He is real. He is not real. Not real in any shape or form. A fictional no. character in a Photoshop contest. No one is telling you to do any harm or that you no. owe anything to Slenderman. Jeez. Oh my God. I am so glad that girl lived. That is same. Oh, it's horrible. And she only invited two. These are just the two friends she invited to her sleepover. So these were her best friends. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh, man. And as a parent, like, what do you, I can't even imagine what her parents were going through. Like, their, their, their 12 year old is allowed to invite a couple friends over for a sleepover. That seems so innocent and also like a big moment in yeah, her development. I know. And like her birthday and everything. And your and worst nightmare yeah. played out from allowing this bit of freedom under your own roof like yeah and for this poor girl peyton who like her best friends were plotting her murder for six months six months yeah that's just horrifying makes me not want to have kids or when i, I do know. make them like sheltered in my home they don't get let out <laughs> Well, and I feel it's like awful. It, it's so different. Like now that we're basically 30, <laughs> we've learned to not take shit and you move on from things and you're more like protective of yourself as a person and the respect you're given. But mm -hmm. when I was 12, I was just trying to figure out who the hell I was. And you take so much from other people. You might, your anxiety, like what you normally would like read, you assume the best in everyone. And you're also nervous to lose anybody at that point because yeah. it is so isolating just to be going through puberty yeah yeah so I, I bet there were probably some weird things said and some weird things done and she just you don't really think much of it no you don't because everyone's weird everyone's Ugh. especially weird then so Ugh, breaks my heart 
Oh, it really does. Man. All right. Well, PSI Slenderman is not real. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Man. All right. So mine is somewhat similar to yours, I guess, because the theme is <laughs> <laughs> that these legends have some sort of start, some sort of origin. But mine is almost reversed where legend became reality. Mm. So growing up in the suburbs of New York, children swapped tales of their local boogeyman. Every region kind of had a little different of a tale, but generally they were the stories that you'd expect. A wild man is wielding an axe in the woods and waiting for children. Or there's a crazed man who killed his whole family and now he's trying to kill you. And a lot of people had the tale of an escaped prisoner who was now searching for his next victim. A murderous man hiding in the back seat wearing the uniform of a gas station attendant who he'd killed moments before. Just like all of those things that we've heard time and time again. And, you know, sometimes they do become reality or are based in reality because there are so many serial killers out there, sadly. And a lot of this stuff is scary and kids get snatched and stranger danger. I mean, 60s, 70s, 80s, kids were getting snatched left and right. And that is why we talk about it all the time today. So... Growing up, these kids in New York, they would tell their tales to each other in school and at home and and on the playground and at their, like, sleepaway camps. And these really were the tales that kids enjoyed telling one another. It was all word of mouth. It was all an oral telling of these boogeyman stories, and they spread. And while many of these legends left the killer unidentified, the children of Staten Island actually had a name for their boogeyman, and they called him Cropsy. Cropsy was, there's many variations of it, but more commonly, Cropsy was an escaped hospital patient. He had been admitted to Seaview Hospital, which was a tuberculosis hospital, and he was mentally ill, and he escaped. And now, with the hospital shut down and abandoned, there was no one there looking to recapture Cropsy. And so he would wander around Staten Island at night, lurking in the dark shadows for children who would stray a bit too far from their group. And when given the opportunity, he would use his hook hand to grab the child, drag them through the tunnel system under the old Seaview Hospital and the Ooh. taken children would never reappear. So quite a spooky tale. Terrifying. But it doesn't really seem like anything we haven't heard of before, right? It's the classic child snatching boogeyman with a hook hand. Of course. Classic. But in the 70s and 80s, the legend, and this is when the legend of Cropsy was quite popular. One might also mention that the reason for it to be so popular was because the satanic panic was then especially in the Mm. 80s, and it was contributing to oral stories like this as people were afraid of devil worshippers and people who gathered in secluded and abandoned places. Unfortunately for Staten Island children, Cropsy wasn't a character conjured by cruel older siblings or parents hoping to keep their kids near home. Cropsy was real. So let's go back a little bit. While Seaview Hospital, which is where Cropsy was said to roam and snatch kids, while Seaview Hospital is a part of the oral legend. It actually doesn't really have anything to do with the real Cropsy. It is located in the general region where Cropsy was, Mm. but the correct location is actually Willowbrook State School. This school was an operation on Staten Island from 1947 to 1987, and it was a state-supported school for children with intellectual disabilities. If you are from this area, or if you're from New York, or you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you probably know what I'm about to say next. 
But similar to what we often heard with the horrifying hospitals and jails that we cover on this podcast, the school became overcrowded. It was meant Mm. for 4,000 kids. It soon held 6,000 kids and the conditions became completely unsanitary. But the cleanliness of the place was the least of these poor children's concerns. Medical staff on site began to inject healthy children with hepatitis to help better the study on the virus. Yep, healthy kids just injected with hepatitis. And they would become extremely ill and some of them would die. What is wrong with the world? Oh my God. So many things. So many. And there were many, many unethical practices there, medical experiments conducted on these poor kids. And there was also extreme corporal punishment and sexual abuse of the children. But the problem was beyond obviously all of that, which is horrifying and a huge problem. One of the problems contributing to this hospital is that the general public didn't really know what was going on. There wasn't a lot of exposure. A lot of people were using this quote-unquote school to essentially drop their children off to and then kind of left them there. It didn't Ugh. didn't really pay attention to what their child was going through anymore. It was like a boarding school, but basically just a place to ship your child off to where you had no involvement that. in them and that's the way you wanted it. Did you say this I'm is sure. the 80s? It closed eventually in the 80s, but it started in the 40s. It was 47 to 87. Exactly that's 40 years. Like, that's like not long ago. Not long ago. This is what we're saying with all of them. We're like, it's unbelievable. The, the thing is, is it's kind of like hindsight's twenty twenty. Like right. We look back and we're like, that is so horrific. How could that happen? And how could that have only happened you know, 40 years ago? Yeah. But then in 20 years, we're going to be like, oh my God, we were living through yeah, that horrible think thing. That about, how did, how yeah. could that have happened? Yeah, that's true. The cycle. It's not even a cycle. It's just horrifying people and horrifying We're just awful. Humans are just terrible. Yep. Parasites. So- The general public, they had no idea really what was going on. The school was originally pitched as a school to help disabled children, but really it was just a prison for them and like medical experiments conducted on them and sexual abuse. Mm. It was just the worst place that they could possibly be brought to. They'd probably be better off living on the street. Robert F. Kennedy had visited many institutions. He went around New York and he visited a bunch of places. And after stopping by Willowbrook, he publicly made a speech calling it a snake pit, that everybody is at fault for the little future that these children had because the institution was a massive failure and everybody had to do better. And he was so disgusted with this place and with the way things were operating. And this Whoa. was in 1965. It still took another 22 years for the school to actually shut down after oh my gosh. Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's brother, publicly made a speech about it. Jeez. So the situation was tough. There were funding cutbacks and the hospital was understaffed while also being overpopulated. Many people were untrained who were working there. And then the limited staff that they did have, they were kind of divided. It was like the group of people who thought their life purpose was to help these disabled children. And they were mm-hmm. doing everything they could with what was given to them to help these people. And then there were a lot of other people who worked there who enjoyed watching and inflicting pain. Uh. In 1972, this is a few years after Kennedy was outspoken about his feelings about Willowbrook, a doctor who was working at Willowbrook, he just could not take it anymore. He's like, this is disgusting what is happening. The treatment is not okay of these children. So he actually, he sent local reporter Geraldo Rivera a key to the hospital. And Geraldo Rivera snuck into the hospital with another reporter and they filmed what they saw. And then he broadcast it to everyone. He basically like wrote up an expose and had all this video footage and it created this national scandal. 
And everyone was like, oh my God, this is horrifying. He was talking about, he was like, if you think these images are horrifying, the smell was <gasps> so much worse than you oh. could imagine. There are literally kids like nude, like rocking back and forth on oh my bare cement. It's exactly That's what you horrendous. think it is. Yeah. Which is sad because your th- your mind goes to the worst case scenario and this was exactly. Ugh. So the expose, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Another thing that the nation is going to see and this place is going to shut down. Nope. Takes another 15 more years for the hospital to fully shut down. So the real-life Cropsy wasn't a patient here, but rather an employee. Andre Rand is his name, and he worked as a janitor, and he also claimed to have had a background in physical therapy, but no one can find any evidence of that. And so he was working there as janitor for a few years, and then in 1966, prior to the school closing, Andre left his job at Willowbrook. However, he didn't physically leave Willowbrook. Instead, he joined the many former patients. I'm calling them patients because that's basically they were not students at that point. Prisoners who lived in the underground tunnels that connected the buildings. What? And this is where he stayed. There was just a, a really large group of homeless people, people who were homeless for various reasons, and then many people who had exited that Willowbrook school and joined Mm. the group of people who were living in the tunnels. Right. So he joins it, and he moves in here. And it's great for him because it is the perfect spot for this predator. He was living unnoticed, generally, in the woods along many other homeless people, and He was close to the school, a school whose grounds and halls and people he knew well. And who knows, now that I'm thinking about it, about what horrors Andre Rand got away with while he was actually working in this school. I'm sure a lot happened behind those walls. Of course. But all we know is what he did after he left. And he didn't wait very long to act. In 1969, he was sentenced to 16 months in jail for attempted sexual assault of a nine-year-old in South Bronx. Then... In 1983, he went to jail for kidnapping a bus of children from the local YMCA and driving them to the airport. Yes. So basically, he'd been working for a Staten Island school bus company, and he drove up to the YMCA, and there were these 11 kids outside, and he was like, hey, want to go on a field trip? And the kids were like, okay. And they shuffled into the bus, and then he drove them to the Newark airport for seemingly no reason, and then ended up driving them to a park where they like got out. And there's a documentary that two people who grew up in Staten Island did. I think it's just called Cropsy. I I watched it. And they interviewed one of the kids from the bus. And he said that he thinks that Andre had originally planned to do something with the kids. Maybe he didn't realize how easy it was and realized then that 11 Mm. kids was probably too much to do whatever he had planned to do, if he had even planned anything at all. And so that's why he thinks they went to the airport and then to like a park because he was kind of trying to figure out what to do and trying to like sort of reverse his steps. Jeez. And erase what he'd done because what he did and the path that he took them on didn't – I mean, he bought them lunch. Like, it was weird. That is weird. So he goes to j- jail for that. And then in 1987, the school is shut down. Willowbrook is shut down. He hasn't worked there for years, but he still lives on that property. So no more children necessarily are in close proximity to Andre Rand in terms of this school. There's plenty of others. And the bad publicity – this school had received for the treatment of the disabled people held prisoner inside actually contributed to the past federal civil rights legislation that protects the mentally disabled and other people who have been institutionalized. So yay, that's awesome. But in this same year, <laughs> I'm like nervous to happens. be, yeah. This same year, Jennifer Schweiger, a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome, goes missing. Jennifer had gone for a walk. That's what her parents knew she was doing. She left this walk around mm-hmm. town and she had last been seen on July 9th walking alongside 
Andre Rand. So Ugh. Andre was the last person seen with her. And for 35 days, everyone searches for this poor little girl. And then she's found. Deceased in a shallow grave on the Willowbrook grounds. Oh, no. Retired New York City firefighter George Kramer, he was the one who spotted her. He basically noticed a disturbance in the land and what appeared to be a small foot sticking out of the ground. So then he grabs the police and brings them over. And it was her. It was Jennifer. And Andre had a campsite very close in proximity to where Jennifer's body was found. And he actually had a lot of makeshift campsites all along the woods. So so awful. So awful. And with the past, basically, kidnapping of those 11 children and the attempted sexual assault of that other young child, everyone's Mm -hmm. like, well, obviously it's Andre. He was the last person seen with her. So he's convicted of kidnapping Jennifer, but he was never convicted of murdering her because there was not enough physical evidence at the time. Many of the people who testified against him claimed that he just looked like someone who would take their child, which isn't really reason or evidence. That's not evidence. Yeah. Definitely not evidence. And while people were certain enough that he had kidnapped Jennifer, they didn't actually know if he murdered her. There was no evidence of that. And so the murder Mm. was dropped. His sentence was for 25 years with the possibility of parole in 2008. But through investigations and looking at other missing children reports, police start to piece things together. And they believe Andre Rand was responsible for four other disappearances, three of which he was tried for. Oh, whoa. Disappearances and possible murders? Like, did those other kids, they were never found? No one was ever found. Oh. So, in 1972, five-year-old Alice Pereira was with her brother in the lobby of a building on Staten Island. Her brother left her alone for only a moment And when he came back, she was gone. And she was never seen again, nor was her body recovered. (laughs) Then in 1981, seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes had gone to the store with her friend to get a bar of soap. And Andre Rand pulled up to the two girls. He then yanked Holly into his Volkswagen, and he drove off with her. And her parents filed a missing persons report immediately. They searched for little Holly. She had some medical things going on with her as well. So there was even more urgency in finding her. And several eyewitnesses claimed to have seen Andre Rand with her before she was never seen again. So he was the last person, again, seen with this girl. And then in 2004, he was actually convicted of her kidnapping, but again, not her murder. And because of this second conviction, he was no longer eligible for parole in 2008, like originally stated after Jennifer's kidnapping conviction. And also, New York doesn't have a statute of limitations for first-degree kidnapping. So that's what allowed this 20-year-old case to then go to court and for him to be convicted again and not let out of jail. So he has to serve another consecutive 25 years to life in prison for Holly's kidnapping in addition to Jennifer's. And he will be eligible for parole again in 2037. If he gets out in 2037, he will be 93 years old. Oh, my gosh. In 1983, 11-year-old Thais Jackson was going to go buy food as an errand for her mom, but she did not return home. And this was concerning because she had some medical things that increased the urgency of her being at home and being in the care of her family. Mm -hmm. She was last spotted leaving the Mariner's Harbor Motel, and this was just days after Andre Rand had been released from prison. So he was questioned, but he was never charged. And then in 1984, 22-year-old Hank Gaforio did not return home as expected. He had an intellectual disability, which was known in the neighborhood. He was very popular, super friendly guy. Everybody loved him. And he had actually participated in the search for Holly Ann Hughes a few years prior when she had gone missing. Hank was last seen sitting in a local diner in the wee hours of the morning with Andre Rand. 
Police never found him. So given Andre Rand's background mm. and prior charges, there is some confusion as to his part in these children's disappearances. Some believe that, yes, Andre Rand absolutely took these children with intent to harm, and he did harm, and he did murder them. There's a picture with his, like, Volkswagen near the scene of the crime. Like, he had gone back to return as police were investigating it, which is, like, the classic serial killer thing to do. You go back and watch. Yeah. There's just, like, a ton of evidence, but then there's also very little evidence, which is kind of confusing. So people are kind of uncertain of the level of involvement. He claims that he's innocent. However, when he was waiting to be tried, he was staying with this other couple at their house. And the man said that he confessed to one of the murders of the little girls and said that he truly did do it. And it sounds like they need to dig up the land of that school because if that's where they found the first... Yeah, I mean, all along the woods there. There's, he had so many camps there and there's the whole tunnel system. And so some people are like, he's definitely guilty. Some people are like, we don't know, maybe something else happened and this is just, we don't know the full story. And those people tend to believe that Andre Rand was a part of something bigger, that Cropsy isn't one person, but many. And he was just there to lure the children in and then shepherd them to others who would, satanic panic, sacrifice the children. Mm or provide them to other people who lived in the underground tunnels with him. So there was belief that some of these kids weren't really murdered right away. They were kind of like, as disturbing as it is to say, like passed around the tunnels. In investigating the tunnels, there was one pair of little girls' underwear that was found near like a man's makeshift camp set up. And so people do not know what happened because the remains or these children have not been found other than Jennifer's body. But it's really disturbing. But whatever the reason, Andre Rand is in prison. He is guilty of kidnapping two children and serving time for those and presumed to be guilty for a whole lot more. And Cropsy is a boogeyman turned real life murderer. And for decades, Staten Island kids' worst nightmare became their reality. And that is That is terrifying because I was talking about this recently like – or we've talked about this before too, just about how a paranormal story is scary. Mm-hmm. It can be scary. And the threat of something in your home is terrifying. But most paranormal stories end well. Like you can get rid of it or they're not harmful. Mm-hmm. But a human being who can harm you, like it's just so much more physical. Like you can't sage away a human or like a violent human, right. you know? Yeah. And then the threat of them returning is ever present. Like they basically haunt you forever because if you're a survived victim or if you're a concerned person and you're keeping track of this person who like maybe has been caught and they're behind bars, like unless they're in prison for life, there's always that concern. And even if they are, like I'm sure people still What if they escape? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So honestly, people are some of the scariest things out there in the world. Yeah. Yes. My question is, did children stop disappearing once Andre was in jail? I don't think children stopped disappearing, but I No, I mean like in that way, in that area. Yes. So I think like MO-wise, yes, they did. And the like full-on disappearances never recovered, stopped, I believe. And also there was like that kind of pocketed time of when he was in the area and all these disappearances happened at the same time. So- It's all kind of attributed to him. And the strange thing is, too, like documentary makers and and like book writers and and people have reached out to him. And in jail, he'll he'll respond. But he's very – he's kind of all over the place. He's – I don't know what's going on with him, but – 
Sometimes he's bossy. Sometimes he wants to give up information. Sometimes his handwriting completely changes. The documentary writers Whoa. of Cropsey, they had written to him. And at one point, his his handwriting completely changed. And he was like quoting Bible verses. Like, Whoa. I don't know if it's truly him, if he's got a whole He like, could have thing some mental illness. Right. Yeah. That like, actually Almost like the me, movie Split. Yeah. It makes me wonder people who have multiple personality dis- disorder, yeah. if they're the different personalities they do. that come forward have different handwritings. I think they do. Because they have different, they have different voices, mannerisms they have different, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I believe that they could definitely have different handwriting. It really does make me wonder, just based on the history of this school and the fact that he was working there, and that these kids were being tortured and tested and just like basically treated like trash. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many children he attacked, assaulted, and killed while there that right. just went completely under the radar. Because no one cared about those children and no one was really paying attention. Exactly. And maybe not even killed. Like, I'm sure plenty of these kids were so severely abused that they weren't going to say anything or he was confident that they weren't or they wouldn't be believed or maybe they were nonverbal. And he felt like he had this freedom to even when he wasn't working there, he was still living on the property. Like, who knows how many times he ventured back into that area. And it's just gross because it sounds like his behavior was probably – he probably wasn't the only one treating children like that in the Mm -mm. school. So it's like it was almost condoned in a way that made him, you know, after the fact be like, oh, this is allowed and I'm just going to continue to do it. Right. Well, what's tough too is his mom – I don't know if it was mental illness – or if she had a mental disability, I can't remember what I read, but she suffered from something as well. So you would think that he'd be a little bit more empathetic, but instead he targeted people and had this yeah. superiority and, and attacked these kids. And it, what's so creepy is like the legend of Cropsey existed before. It was like the classic boogeyman. And it just so happened to be pretty much real. It turned out to yeah. be real. Like the legends of the tunnels and someone grabbing kids yeah, and bringing yeah. them in. That specific. It's super specific. And then it truly became the reality. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the idea of someone like kidnapping you is just, it is so real. So right. the, the fact it that is, it came, became I mean, it real is, is like a good, a good thing to fall back on as, as a parent to be like, hey, we yeah. don't know who lives in those tunnels. Like, don't go exploring that. There's a lot of unpredictable Ugh. people that are, that could be there. And so this there's, episode- no, there's no witnesses around. So it's like, People oh are unpredictable God. everywhere, but but yeah, at least you're... This episode is just should be called Hide Your Kids. Hide Your Kids, literally. Because I don't even have kids and I'm prepared to hide mine from I'm the world because the hide world... Your kids. Hide Your Kids. I just realized the other day that I had titled one of our episodes, the one where we did women, ladies... I titled it the exact same thing that I titled one like 200 episodes ago. So I no changed the way. name. Yeah. Wait, what was it? What was it titled? It was titled Ladies Night. <laughs> oh, well, that's bound to happen. And I also feel like my descriptions for encounters end up just all being the same anyway. Yeah. So it's okay. It happens. It's okay. It's going to It's happen. okay. So we didn't double up on what we covered. So that's what matters. No. But if you previously listened to episode 160, Ladies Night, it's now 160. Let's go, girls. Oh, I love it. Oh, should I change it to girls? Ghouls? Girls? It, it's, mm, no. Let's go, girls. That's what it is. It yeah. just is what it is. Yeah. Love it. You are in darkness, Corinne. I, I know it's because you can't hobble to go turn I the light on. I can't crutch over to the other side <laughs> of the bed. I, I should have asked Brian to turn on the light for me. Too late. Oh. I'll use your, my phone for just light. your How face. About that? Just your face is illuminated. That did barely anything. Okay, so I have a listener story from our listener, Ashley. 
And it's not really Slenderman, but I just searched Slenderman and this came up. So we're going with it. Rolling with the punches. Great. It's called It's My Dad. At least I hope it is. Hey, Corinne and Sabrina. Really enjoying the podcast, but literally just started listening. This is back in 2018. I'm on episode 17, so only a little behind. It's also interesting that I decided to email you as I listened to this episode because it's about shadow people. I have always been interested by the paranormal and ghosts, and I really want to share my stories because I honestly think I'm the haunted one and it's not my house. So I grew up in a smallish town in Missouri, and this is where my first memories of my ghostly experiences begin. As a backstory, my dad, who's non-biological but the closest dad figure I had at the time, passed away when I was three years old. I don't remember this, but my grandpa told me that the day after my dad passed away, I was with my grandparents and had no idea he was gone and my mom was with him. I told him that my daddy came to see me last night, and my grandpa says that I said something else that he doesn't really remember, which I wish he did because I think my dad is the ghost following me, or at least I hope it is. So growing up after he passed away, I always felt watched in my home. I never felt fully alone, even when I was actually the only one home. And I remember getting ready for school one day when I was the only one awake. My mom was asleep in her room at the other end of the house. And if my little brother was born, he was not yet old enough to even say my name. I was faced away from my bedroom door playing with my jewelry before I had to go wait for the bus. And I distinctly heard my name whispered in a man's voice behind me. Ashley. I turned around and no one was there at all. I was so scared, I ran out of my room, down the hallway, and straight out the front door, which I hate myself for because if this was my dad, he has not spoken to me since, probably because he scared me so much. But we're not yet done. After my second brother was born, I got moved from the back bedroom down the hall to the first bedroom in the hall. Again, the feeling of always being watched was still there as I grew up. The feeling always got worse as I'd go through the house towards my mother's end of the house. Her bedroom always gave me the worst sense of dread and like I wasn't alone. We also had a dog that would stand in the end of the kitchen facing my mom's room that would growl at her with his hair standing on end. One night, after the Slenderman YouTube videos became a thing, I was in my room and I'm not sure what time it was, but it was after 10 p.m. And I'm not sure what time it was because after around 10 p.m. I'd cover myself up completely with my blanket because, you know, safety. (laughs) But I felt someone sit on my bed. I felt my bed sink right next to me like someone's butt was on my bed. Now, I'd like to mention that I slept with my door shut and I grew up in a mobile home. It was next to near impossible to open any door without being heard and there was not any light from the hall or living room shining into my room that I would have been able to see even under my blanket. My mom's best friend and I were recently talking about my experiences in that house, and she said that when she would come over, her and my mom saw a shadow of a man that would sometimes stand outside of my bedroom at night. I moved out of that house when I was 18, and I thought the hauntings would be over since I thought it was just the house, and for the first year on my own, it was relatively quiet. Then I moved in with my now husband. In our first apartment together, the sense of dread and being watched came back. Anytime I was home alone, I would feel like someone was with me. We lived there for about two to three years, and I felt watched the entire time living there. Now it's 2018, and we have since moved from that apartment and are currently renting a house together. I really wish I could say that that feeling of being watched is gone, but it's not. I feel watched in this house too. I get a feeling of dread if I wake up anytime after 10 or 11 p.m. 
The worst part is I was in the master bedroom of this house laying on my bed and the hallway was directly behind me and all three bedrooms are at the end of the hall. I saw a shadow go from the bedroom next to mine that was directly at the end of the hall to the bathroom about midway down the hall. Once again, I bolted up and out of the house, which means had someone actually walked down the hall, I would have passed them on of my way out of the house. However, I was alone. What worries me now is I have an eight-month-old son who sleeps in the room at the end of the hall where I saw the shadow come from. I really hope it's my dad and I'm confusing the feelings I'm getting, but I'm also worried it's something much worse than my dad and I'm leaving my son in a room that the shadow has decided to claim as its own. I swore that I wouldn't be one of those people who apologize for the long email, but after reading this, maybe I should. Sorry for the lengthy story, but keep up the podcast. I absolutely love it. And I am relieved that I am not the only one who experiences this stuff. Ashley. <sighs> My goodness. Well, I hate to think, and I don't believe that it is her dad that is giving creepy vibes. Like That's what worries me. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think she's right in that her dad was like, Ashley, and then realized how much it he scared spooked her. her. Yeah. I definitely think, too, that if he was with her for so long after his passing and now she has a child, I don't think he's gone. So Mm-mm. It does make me think maybe that whatever that lurking spirit is, isn't – maybe it's not a good spirit, but maybe it's not a bad one. Like maybe it's just kind of there. Yeah. It's weird. I, I have kind of the same feelings where I wonder if there are two different spirits that she's experiencing because mm-hmm. the one standing outside her bedroom door, as creepy as it is, like when she was young, that could be a protective thing the ghost saying ashley could be her dad but the feeling that comes after 10 p.m or 11 p.m of being watched and the feeling of dread that's the word that makes me think it's not her dad because her dad after all these years i think would stop doing that if he knew he was causing dread or fear right so i don't know what it it could be like it's i mean maybe it's hat man familial haunting maybe it is well, I think she'll find out. I'm sure her child will say something. Oh, but Ashley, I I wonder, I mean, this is 2018, so we have many years to catch up on. But oh. um, I'm curious if you've ever tried to cleanse a home or you yourself or get a reading or just try to learn more about what this thing following you could be. That might be helpful if you haven't. Yeah, definitely. Especially cleanse your child space since it sounds like you took a pant in that area. Yeah. And just I feel like one thing that's always worked for me and it's like the easiest thing to do is you just ignore it. I feel like the more I turn Mm. my head and look at things as it's passing by, the more action I see. I don't know if it's an encouraging thing to recognize and, and look at the spirits or if maybe I'm just unknowingly opening myself up by looking at them. Yeah. But the less I look, the more I ignore and the less that I pay attention to it, it starts to lessen itself. I hear you. But if this has been going on since she was three years old, Mm -hmm. how do you ignore it? Right. That's a lifelong haunting. Yeah. I wonder, too, what if it is her dad, but he's just kind of like in between. He's like one foot in, one foot out. He knows that she's doing great. He knows he spooked her that one time. So he's kind (laughs) of stepped back and now he's not this full – like what would have been like a full figure. He's kind of like this blacked out shadow version of himself because he's not fully in. And maybe the change in energy with him not being fully present is what she's picking up on energy-wise. I don't know. I'm just trying to. I don't know. I know you're trying to make it sound nice. I know. I don't want it to be the, I don't want it to be scary. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't want it to be scary either. 
Right. Well, we'll, well, just we'll follow up. Yeah. Yeah. We will follow up. Ashley, hope you – we hope you still listen. <laughs> we hope you still like us. She's going to be like, who are these people emailing me? I know. What's happening? She's like, I stopped listening back in 2018, days after I sent you that email. <laughs> and this is a fear I have, and I talk about it in therapy because I hate when people don't like me. Rejection is so hard. Rejection's hard. Okay. This listener did not sign their name, so. Ooh. Unknown listener. So I've only recently started following your podcast, but I wanted to share my own experiences with you. These are all kinds of connected, but separate at the same time. I call the spirits I'm going to talk about watchers. The first one is Mr. Suit. Sound familiar, Sabrina? Mm. Slenderman? Scary. When I was around seven, I listened to audiobooks in the living room at night. One night, I saw someone standing in the laundry room doorway, and being seven, my response was to scream. When my mother, I think, I don't think it matters what age you are. I think that's the proper response. That's, that's a pretty accurate response. Yeah. yeah. When my mother came into the room asking me what was wrong, I pointed to the figure and she turned the hall lights on. It was a suit hanging in the doorway. That made me calm down. And every night before going to sleep, I would say, good night, Mr. Suit. <laughs> now it gets creepy when two or three years later, I say my good night and I go to sleep. But then the next morning, I noticed that the suit was gone. I asked my mother where it had went and she told me there hadn't been a suit there in over a year. I moved into my sister's room soon after, but whenever my sister leaves the door open, I would see Mr. Suit standing there just on the other side of the door. <gasps> no. The next watcher is the ghost guy. Equally cheesy name to Mr. Suit, but I was still pretty young. I was maybe about 10 when I saw him. It started with one of those dreams where you keep waking up over and over again. I was in the blue room and in a blue bed. And every time I woke up, I'd hear, it's just a dream. I finally woke up on my own and started to feel relieved when I heard from my left, oh, you woke up. I looked towards the voice and I saw a tall man picture a kind of slender man-esque with a squarish head shape small beady eyes and a grid spreading from one ear to the other no. i blinked and he was gone the creepy parts are that i don't remember waking up after that and now in my doorway mr suit isn't alone what this next one is by far the creepiest timothy my friend convinced me to name him that i moved last year and this is something that i've been seeing and hearing since moving It started during my first week of living in the new house. The house has two floors, a basement, and two attic spaces, one containing a creepy antique dollhouse and doll. The basement has a window and is honestly a really nice space. There are two rooms with a connecting bathroom. It really isn't a frightening stereotypical basement. I straight up have a studio apartment in the basement. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. So like I said, it happened in the first week of living there. I couldn't sleep, so I was looking for food to snack on, and I was walking down the stairs, and then the light went off, and I couldn't move. I was just frozen in place, but I could move my eyes, but that was it. I looked up to see this dark, faceless figure. It physically seemed to be oozing some tar-like substance. (gasps) I thought that it was the physical embodiment of a negative energy, but I can't be sure. It started to reach towards me, and I snapped out of it. I threw my bedroom door open, and I slammed it behind me. And that night, I put up paper runes in my room in hopes that it would help. The reason this is one that is so frightening to me is because I see it every night beside (gasps) my bed, and I often feel a hand running over my back when I know I'm definitely alone in my room. Oh my god, no! Whenever I get used to its presence, it gets more disturbing. At this point, it hunches over me every night. (gasps) 
It has a tear across its face where its mouth would have been if it had one. And it laughs now, so I can't ignore it at night without listening to something. What? I have stories, but this is getting long, so I'll just leave it at that. These are the watchers that I experience daily or nightly, as it were. No! Unsigned! I'm shook. Yes. Apparently ignoring things don't work. Forget my advice. The more they they ignore this thing, the more it like gets closer. The way that it started with an actual suit in the laundry room and the way that they just, you know, jokingly said, good night, Mr. Suit every night. And then some entity used that to turn into Mr. Suit. Right. And it makes me wonder, is it the same entity and it's just like multiplying itself and morphing itself to just create this like gaggle of monsters or does it have friends and it's like bring in the next character that's a nightmare it's like i mean mr floops is already a nightmare from spy kids and (laughs) awful but it's terrifying i don't even i don't even have words right the benefit of a nightmare is that you wake up from it but this it's not a one and done type of deal it happens once to this person, and then it happens again every single night from then on. And it just collects. It sounds like Mr. Suit is now with the ghost guy in the doorway, and now there's this other creature that's, like, o- over the bed. And the terror where its mouth should be, I'm... It's very disturbing. This I'm episode so has been very, very disturbing. Yeah, I know. This was dark. I Start was to finish. <sighs> like, having a physical reaction right now. I'm curious what would happen if this person had someone else sleeping in their bed with them or in the room with them at night, like all night, if that person would see or experience any of this too. Oh, I want them to test it out. Right. Or is this person just like so incredibly open that they're somehow able to be within this other like paranormal space at the same time as living? Like the veil is lifted. But why does it have to be the really dark veil? Why can't it be like- I don't know. The normal, sweet, fine, good veil? I don't know. If we can jump to other dimensions, other timelines, I hope that this person does and that there's not this on the other one. Yeah, please find the other happy rainbow-filled space. The parallel universes and time slips just reminded me of a TikTok I saw the other day that I need to send you. And I'll figure out this woman's name. But she said that she lived this whole life and she had two kids and at the age of 24 – she went to bed and she woke up and she was 11. And she's what? just been living her life since she was 11 years old again. She thought she'd switch back at some point, but she never did. So now she's older and uh, she never slept back. Okay, you need to send this to me. I need yeah. to know more. This is kind of like Outlander-ish. On TikTok, all the comments are so addicting. Like you read through all the comments and you're like, holy shit. All the other things people are talking about. Like I woke up at this time and that time. And this is like the millionth one I've seen. So okay. quite interesting. I need to know and yes, more. I did start Outlander. So Oh you did? Yes, I did. And I I'm not done with the first season yet. So far, between Brian and I, we've predicted quite a few things that have happened. So we're like getting really well, maybe he's not. I'm getting pretty cocky. I'm like <laughs> But also I'm like this. <laughs> but just do you like it? My question is do you like it? So good. Yes. I will like it so uh-huh. long as she is able to move between time. Which I think she does eventually return back to her original timeline from the faces and expressions people have made who I make the same comment to. If she doesn't, I will be mad and I will not continue. Okay. Okay. But I have a feeling I'll be continuing. (laughs) (laughs) I will not say anything. I'm excited for you to get to, I think it's season two or three. There is one episode that I am thinking of specifically that I have been dying to talk to someone about. Okay. (laughs) 
And well, I think you'll know it when you see it. So okay. I'll find out what episode it is and then we'll discuss when you get there. All right. It's a slow roll. I'm maybe doing like two or three episodes a week. That's still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess that is fast for an hour long commitment. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> we clearly needed to talk about something else because we're so... <laughs> And on, on other things. And on note. that note, please send us your paranormal stories, your alien stories, anything at all. Please email it to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. And there are multiple ways you can support us. You can rate and review on iTunes. Please do that. You can support us on Patreon. You can buy merch. You can follow us on social media. Yeah. That's all the great stuff. That's the spiel. That's the spiel. Also, thank you to Aiden and the team at Upfire Digital for editing our podcast. We're so appreciative. And we will see you on the other side. side.